Hello, my fans, friends. Welcome to the Rich Terring podcast feed, powered by ACAS Plus. Thanks to everyone who's come to see the Can I Have My Ball Back tour so far. It's been going really well. I've got a four-star review in The Standard, four-star review in The Telegraph, who once called me the worst comedy experience of the year, so that's a turnaround. Uh, people have been coming, people have really been enjoying it, and it's getting better and better. The only gigs this week are both in Pocklington, the town I was born in, near York. Uh, there's a couple of tickets left for the evening show and a few more tickets left for the matinee, I think about 4.30. But love to see you there, Yorkshire. Pop along. Check richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour or richardherring.com slash gigs to see if I'm coming near to you. There are tickets left for nearly every show in the tour. I think Norwich has sold out. Uh, and a couple of gigs in London could do with your support as well. Anyway, please listen to the podcast. Do spread the news about the podcast to your friends. Listen as much as you can. Numbers are slightly down, which may affect the future of this podcast. So just leave it playing, even if you're not in the room. Love you. <laughs> now sit back, relax and enjoy whatever it is you're going to listen to. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, my fine friends. Welcome to another very exciting Rahalastapa book club. This week we are talking to Sam Knight about his book, The Premonitions Bureau. Hello, Sam. How are you doing? Yeah, not, not, not bad. Yeah, thank you. First of all, who are you, Sam? And oh, what right. else have you written before this book? <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, so this is this 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 is this is my first this is my first book. Um, I okay. I write for the New Yorker, which is you know big uh, American magazine. Um, I've been doing that for I guess kind of three or four years, and my job for them is to to write about. Britain for you know an international you know primarily an American audience I guess think about the New Yorker they're really long articles we take you know we take a few months over them which is an amazing kind of luxury to have these days and I guess my work tends to divide between about half the time covering quite kind of meat and potatoes uh, what's going on in these you know benighted aisles and the other half I sort of have a bit more latitude to sort of explore things that 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 come my way or 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 sort of don't have a you know don't have a particularly obvious purpose to them okay and so this book began is that right as one of one of the articles you were writing is that correct yeah exactly yeah no it, it it started very much as a kind of me seeing the words you know the premonitions bureau in a in a in a pretty random book in the british library many years ago and then sort of 
over the years would sort of be researching it a bit in my spare time and then and then finally convinced the the magazine to sort of to write write a story about it and it sort of it, it, it grew from there and so tell us in your own words what the book is about exactly yeah so the premonitions bureau was an experiment um that ran in britain in the mid 1960s quite a kind of concentrated period of time from the autumn of 1966 to the summer of 1968 and it was it was the idea of a psychiatrist called john barker who was a a fascinating figure on the one hand he was a pretty progressive um researching psychiatrist he had a he was the deputy superintendent of a, a large mental hospital outside shrewsbury he was sort of psychiatry at that time was sort of full of ideas you know terrible problems as well but kind of a, a field that was changing rapidly and he was pretty at the at the forefront of that but at the same time he had a very you know not that unusual but fairly unusual you know mid 20th century british fascination for ghosts or the occult or the kind of the, the unusual workings of time so he sort of he managed to sort of have these these two parts of of his personality sort of rubbing alongside each other. And he became convinced that some people could see the future. They could see things uh, before they happened. And so he came up with this, this idea of let's try and collect as many dreams and visions and forebodings from the British public as, as possible and see if we could use those to, to prevent disasters. Sure. And I suppose what's interesting is there's often, obviously, this is a subject that has been covered a lot by non-scientific people. uh, And uh, generally, there's a bit of hokum and bunkum around it. But this was sort of an academic approach, really. And he was, uh, you know, which is fair enough. These things should be investigated, whether they're true or not. So he he was coming at it more, more of an academic angle. Yeah, I mean, I think he would, I think he would definitely say that and and he was um you know determined to enlarge the field of psychiatry i think he thought it was too limited on sort of mental illness and things very much kind of located in the mind and he kind of argued on a kind of broad range of fronts to have a sort of a more kind of holistic view of kind of psychiatry and, and mental health. So he would definitely say that he was approaching it as a doctor and as a scientist, but nonetheless, you know, even if there was more tolerance for things like, you know, parapsychology or the occult in the mid sixties, you know, even when he was doing the experiment, he was taking abuse from other doctors. He was getting told off by his superiors and local, you know, NHS officials. Uh, so he, at, at the time, this was, this, this was something that was kind of uncomfortable. And lots of people would have said, you know, this isn't being pursued with, with proper, you know, scientific rigor, simply because, you know, it's pretty difficult to do that. So yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a really interesting book. I mean, it is, it is interesting to, um, it's, well, it, partly it's just, it's fascinating to sort of see Britain at that time, I think, from, from the, from the, from your journalistic point of view, it's a very good, uh, 
summing up, obviously starting with the Aberfan disaster mainly as, as, the, as the starting point and whether that could be predicted and whether people have predicted that or not. But you get a real feel and it's, it's and there's a few sort of diversions off as well <laughs> from from you, I think, where, yeah. where we're sort of exploring the 60s as much as the Premonitions Bureau. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, I, I think it is. And I had, a, you know, I had a wonderful time researching it. The, the, the Premonitions Bureau was this experiment sort of led by Barker, but done very much in collaboration with a man called Peter Fairley, who was the science editor of the, the Evening Standard newspaper. And, and while he was helping to collect all the premonitions from the public, which came into the Evening Standard's newsroom, he would be off in Cape Canaveral kind of watching the, you know, the testing of the Jupiter rockets to carry, you know, astronauts to the moon or writing about, you know, hovercraft or lasers or so there was, there, he was a real sort of figure of, you know, discovery and excitement and and doing doing the research i you know i spent quite a lot of time in the, the archives of shelton hospital which is this mental hospital outside shrewsbury but also you know tracking down old timers from the evening standard from the 60s and trying to sort of get you know i got a guy to sort of draw out the original floor plan of the newsroom and tried to sort of get as much as i could in touch with the sort of I don't know the sounds and the smells and the kind of the feel the feel of it all. So no, I I I love trying to to sort of evoke that very particular period of time where there was just a huge amount of technological change and social change and you know on some level a fee, a feeling that that many many things were possible and I don't know whether that expands the sense of 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 of, of things that maybe look you know, more impossible to us these days. Yeah, and I suppose what I found interesting, and maybe this is true of the 60s generally, you know, in in, in a lot of ways, Aberfan is, uh, you know, obviously a terrible tragedy and you, you, you're very eloquently and, and, you know, almost dispassionately actually in a, in, a, in a journalistic way describe what went on. And it's, you know, it's hard. I think a lot of modern people might not be quite aware of exactly what happened in Aberfan. But that that's quite an... That feels like a thing from the from the past, you know, coal mines and slag heaps, and it's, it feels very forties or fifties or thirties even. And then obviously the sixties is also full of this space race and aeroplanes and and politics moving forwards. And so it, I think this the sixties does seem to encapsulate this. The start of the sixties feels like the forties or the fifties, and the end of the sixties feels like a very different different world that we're that we're in. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I. I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. yeah good. <laughs> um, what I, you you don't really come down on it because I think you're correctly, I suppose, trying to maintain a open mind about this and not not really come down in, on either side. Uh, do, do you fit? Do you think the Premonitions Bureau uh, had any real success? Or I mean, do you think it's possible to to see the future? Did you did you? Did you end up feeling that or not? So I have, you know, I have, I've, you know, I have quite a few things to uh, to say to say to say about this. I mean, I suppose the, you know, the first thing that I kind of kept in my mind is that when it seems to me is when we're told stories about the occult or the paranormal, you know, there is normally a pretty strong agenda either way. Why? we're being told that information and it's 
normally to sort of desperately convince you that there's that there's something out there or it's done to sort of demolish things and show how you know irrational the human mind is and prone to confirmation bias and and seeing things and seeing things that aren't there and sort of you know very um you know maybe a sense that this kind of thinking is is harmful or delusional in some way and i and i really wanted to to write this story without without you know without a strong agenda which i think is the kind of reporting and writing you get about many other subjects you know so i i was i was keen to sort of try and write a history if you know what i mean a kind of closely observed little mm-hmm. social history of this experiment and the people who were involved in it and to try and write about you know their experience um and and in a sense leave it there and I, you know maybe that sounds like a bit of a cop out i mean but I suppose my my you know my justifications for sort of for doing that would be on the one hand I have not in my life ever experienced a premonition in the way that you know I describe you know the visions that 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 kind of occupied the premonitions bureau but I don't see how we can see things before they happen you know time moves in one direction you know physics is pretty it's pretty solid on this so I have I have no reason to see these things as anything other than amazing coincidences that had a lot of significance for the people who witnessed them and who sort of and and experienced them but on the other hand you know I'm not a religious person either and but I wouldn't I I, I kind of just note the way that occult beliefs or superstitious beliefs or impossible things like premonitions are are often marginalized whereas to my mind other realms of supernatural thinking uh you know believing in you know gods or prayer or 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 other things are, are kind of they're treated they're treated differently in our in our culture often and i'm not i'm not sure there's an entirely logical reason why that is i think there are cultural reasons why that is but i'm not sure there's an obvious um rational reason for sort of elevating one one type of um magical thinking above another if you know what i mean no i mean, it's i do and i you know i'm a very skeptical person but i would love all this stuff to be true equally i've always <laughs> been fascinated i mean as a kid i was always i was always fascinated with nostradamus and stuff like that uh, and so there's a part, you know, there's a few of the, th- you know, there's a couple of the the, the people that that send their stuff into the, the Premonitions Bureau who seem to have some good hits, but I don't know how many misses they also <laughs> they also had. I think the uh, the uh, the one about the the Russian astronaut seems fairly strong, though again, uh, though again, I suppose that was so zeitgeist that if you were dreaming, you would dream of astronauts and dreams. Uh, the kind of dreams you would have where someone would be trapped and crashing and dying but all of that. um there there are a few that do feel that do feel closer but then you know a lot of them i mean the, I, you address this in the book obviously the problem with a premonition it's it's not any use unless it's very specific and can and can point you to exactly what's going to happen which obviously none of them really do uh and if it does that then it won't come true because you'll stop it so it won't be a premonition so it's this Sort of circular, circular arguments. The idea of the idea of the premonitions bureau was partly set up to try and see if they could predict disasters and prevent them. But obviously, even if that had worked, which it, it did, clearly didn't, um, 
it sort of it, it sort of wouldn't wouldn't have worked as well. Its success would have been its own failure. So it's trapped in this logical paradox, isn't it? No, definitely, and that's something that Barker um, wrestled with. Um, he wasn't kind of he wasn't sort of unaware of of all the. <laughs> Of all, of all the problems, except for perhaps, you know, the main problem that this is, you know, on the face of it, impossible. But he was, he, he was, you know, occupied by this, this paradox of if you can stop something from happening, therefore, you know, how can you possibly have a vision of it? And he was aware of the, the scepticism and he was aware of the kind of the professional, you know, embarrassment or abrobrium kind of involved in undertaking something like this. And yet he went ahead with it anyway. Um, and likewise, Fairley, you know, who presented the moon landings on ITV and was kind of becoming quite a kind of, you know, known media personality in this, in this part of the 60s, also didn't see a conflict with covering the biggest scientific stories of the time and pursuing these questions. I think it's, I think it's, I think, I think these were the things that I, I guess there were, yeah, there were two things. Like these were the kind of, the kind of outlooks or the kind of worldviews that I found really interesting. It's always irresistible when someone can see all the reasons why not to do something and they kind of do it anyway. There's something kind of, I find intrinsically pretty fascinating about that. Um, and then I guess the other thing that I found that sort of sustained me, you know, you sort of mentioned earlier, the book sort of, it tells the story of the, of the experiment, but it also kind of steps out from that. And there are some sort of, you know, brief visits into, you know, a bit of, you know, very light neuroscience, a bit of history of prophecies, some stuff about, you know, second sight in the Western Isles of Scotland and things like that, trying to sort of, if you like, I hope, give information to readers to sort of understand or sort of enrich their sense of, of what's happening. But one of the things that, that, that I, that really kind of, not exactly like, kept me going but but I keep kind of returning to when I think about this is this idea um in neuroscience which has been you know around and sort of gaining more momentum since the early 1990s of this idea that that our brains are driven by predicting what's going to happen next like we don't experience things or sent you know sensations from the outside world as they happen to us our brains are always reaching forward using our memories or past experiences or the environment that we've grown up in to shape what's happening to us and i i don't know i kind of i i love the way that premonitions and predictions kind of blur into a very natural way of of making experience for ourselves you know we we you know we see we see things and make connections and make correlations constantly that's kind of how we survive and therefore kind of premonitions are just this like this one step beyond that are very very uh enticing and and kind of you know all, always have been there's always been this role for for profits and, and 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 people who can at least claim claim to see the next thing coming 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So yeah, I mean, I slept... Looking at, I mean, what's I suppose what's interesting about the art, if premonitions are true and they do work, even if they can't help us stop things happening, it does have a lot of implications for the nature of time and uh, and fate. I suppose if you can pre- if we can predict the future, then the future is sort of set, isn't it? So that that means nothing we do has has any uh, purpose. What would you think about that if, if premonitions are true? <laughs> Uh, strong, you know, strong, strong, strong stuff. Uh, <laughs> I mean, these aren't, you know, these aren't sort of new uh, questions and and dilemmas for us. I mean, I kind of, I mean, where do where do I start with this? I mean. <laughs> I feel like, you know, in the in the in the in the people that I was writing about, they experienced or thought they were experiencing glimpses, right? You know, a little a little a little moment where for whatever kind of you know crossed crossed wire kind of out there, you you have impossible knowledge, if you know what I mean. And I don't Certainly, in in terms of kind of Barker and the main, you know, percipients as he called them, you know, the people who are having these these visions. Uh, yes, there was like big ramifications for for time and the future being simultaneous with the present and all sorts of um, kind of mind bending ideas. But I think I think what really they thought they were onto was actually more of an idea of a kind of a shared subconscious, you know, if you know what I mean, like this Barker in particular was sort of mm-hmm. influenced by, you know, Jung and J.B. Priestley and other people who were kind of really occupied by questions of, of time and a sort of 
a, a, a collective, you know, a shared, you know, a shared consciousness. And I say, and the idea that, you know, if I can see something that's going to, going to happen to you before it happens, or you can see me over, you know, Barker often talked about twins. And, you know, if, if something happens to a twin, you know, they have a, an accident and like three miles, you know, 300 miles away, the other twin gets a sort of, uh, a, a, a pain in their knee or something like that. A lot of us, despite our kind of conscious rationalism, would sort of think, yeah, kind of fair enough, you know, is that, I don't really know how that would be possible. I also wouldn't exclude that from being possible. And Barker's sort of logic was, he called it, you know, the sympathetic projection of pain. If that could happen between two people across distance, you know, would it be possible for that to, to happen across time? And even like hearing the words coming out of my mouth, that's nonsense. But on the other hand, it's also something that is also intuitively, like I think, recognisable to many people in their experience. Like it's been, you know, fun working on this because people, you know, sometimes say, oh, you know, what are you, what are you working on? And I, and you tell them, you know, as briefly as you can, like what it is. And you can sort of see sometimes when people are like, oh, okay, you know, fair enough, not not that interesting but then other times you know like when i was working on this you, you, you start sort of saying oh, i'm writing about a you know a psychiatrist in the 60s who, who thought some people could see the future i normally wouldn't really be able to get past that but before people are just off telling me about you know their experiences in, in their life or in their family's experience or the thing they heard in the barbershop the other day um and 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 people's lives and people's family lives i think carry a lot of these stories and experiences that people don't know really know what to do with. There is no explanation for them. And yet they have changed them in some way or marked them in that way, some way. Maybe they made a decision as a result of it or didn't make a decision as a result of it. Or I like, even though there isn't an adequate uh, real explanation for these happenings because we're people, because we're human, they still they still affect us and change us. Do you see the sort of distinction that I'm drawing? No, I do, and like, you know, completely. It is because, like I say, I'm I'm two people in that I, you know, I want to kind of go. Well, you know, this the thing is like so a lot of the Abervan predictions. Obviously, they came out after the event, and so people might have might be lying. They might have convinced themselves that, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that happened. You know, I had any. I had I had when I when I first when my first date with my wife and. Uh, uh, who by future who would be my future wife? Uh, I kind of had a very and she was with someone else, and I, but I had a very strong feeling we were going to be together and we were going to have two kids, which we did. We did have, but it was as much a, a hope, I guess, as a reality. And I wonder how much subsequently I've rewritten that. Th- it was something I didn't say. It was something I thought and something I had to stop myself saying because it's not a great first date. <laughs> we're going to have two kids, uh, but but you know how much of that actually. For example, the, the girl in Abervan, um, the, the girl who died in Abervan, who on the morning her mum said she came down and said, I'm not scared of dying, and also I've had a dream about uh, being at school and it being covered in blackness and some the words to that effect. Um, you know, we don't, you don't know whether, you know, that mother's been through a very emotional experience. She might, she might have, mis, you know, not necessarily misremembered, but pieced things together in a different way or, or even... Or even the the event might not have happened. Similarly, uh, I mean, these are just all the cynical things you could, you know, the, the, what a cynic would say. Similarly, if everyone's slightly, half the people were very worried about the cold tip and half the people would say they weren't. And obviously, if that was in the air, then kids were probably going to have dreams about 
about things going wrong. Just that's the nature of humanity, right? So it's easy after the event to say this is that that prediction came true. And they also I thought with a lot of the plane crash ones that seem pretty strong. There's also lots of detail in those predictions that that wasn't in the actual event. There were sort of six plane crashes a year at that time as well. So you were pretty likely to. If you said there's going to be a plane crash, you were pretty likely to to get it right. Or do yeah, you think, yeah, yeah. Do you think they're Do you think they're closer? No, 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 no. I know, no. I know, I know you're know. not. I know you're not an advocate for it. I know you're not. No, no, no. But no, I just tell, no. I just tell you my my you know my 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 thoughts while you're kind of you know pointing out these things. You know, like you know, obviously we're talking about confirmation bias here and people seeing things after the fact. And you know, this happens particularly with you know with dreams. We dream all kinds of junk. And, and, and then we sort of pick out the one telling detail and our brains very efficiently discard all the other actual stuff that the dream was about in order to kind of come up with the thing which, which prefigured, you know, the person stepping into your path, you know, the next day. Like, no question at all. I think, I think other things that, that, that I've thought about are, you know, let, you know, and Abhavan is particularly kind of horrifying, but also kind of, um, Full of, full of the, full of, full of these questions. One is just the simple human need to try and make sense of experience, right? You know, we have, yeah. you know, horrendous disasters of, of all, of all kinds. And, you know, we saw this a little bit at work at the, the onset of the pandemic. You know, we get the full range, don't we, from kind of conspiracy theories to this was a completely, unforeseen, unprecedented. How many times do we hear the word unprecedented in the space of six months? Do you know what I mean? Whereas, in fact, there's another highly, you know, painfully rational reading of it. It was like, oh, yeah, this was the, like, number one threat to, like, the British economy and national security was, you know, a respiratory disease pandemic. Like, it's there in all in all the papers. So you can – it becomes, I think, a highly personal um, f- sort of way of processing – events is do you tell yourself there was no way this could have been stopped or do you sell this as ah look human error this was sitting right there in front of us if we had just put the connections together together better we would have made an accurate prediction about the likelihood of this thing ranging through to someone else is in control of everything our lives are predestined there is a shadowy conspiracy you know brewing up you know COVID-19 and laboratories everywhere. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of, it's kind of interesting I do, yeah. with, within our recent life to, to, to see, and you can see exactly the same thing at work in Abavan. And one of the, you know, the people I was so uh, pleased to, to talk to is this American photographer, Chuck Rappaport, who yeah. some of the photographs uh, are in the book and who's been an astonishing kind of witness to what happened Nabavan in nineteen sixty eight, six and actually since then and showing his photographs in, in Merthyr Tidville and, and Wales. He's he's a really wonderful man. But he was fascinating to talk to because he was twenty nine years old, American go getting uh photographer who just jumped on a plane, a complete fish out of water in this village. And and while we were talking, he would say, Look, the, the community just split in all these ways some people said you know oh my goodness how could such a you know incredibly tragic thing happen here the complete like it came out of thin air and other people saying you know 
my God, we've been writing to the coal company and writing to our MP and writing to local council for years, warning of exactly this thing. And, and people having, you know, going through the same experience will, will think very differently about how foreseeable it was and how much of their life is down to chance and how much of their life is, is in a sense already preordained. But I suppose it was, it, with a tragedy like that, it was you know it was preventable. It, w- it was it was sort of inevitable, not necessarily that happened while the school had just opened, which was uh, obviously the, a huge tragedy of it. Um, but you know, I, I wonder if there's an element of because it was predictable in a sense that the fact that it didn't get stopped and they stopped it, it, and that it wasn't outwardly predictable. Made, that, that I wonder if that made this. You know the the uh, premonition side of things all the more kind of appealing, but also also made them happy. You know, we should have seen this coming, but we didn't see it coming. So here's an example of you know yeah. you know do, do, do you get what I'm what I'm saying? No, I, I think, think sort of I, I, as well. no, I think I think I think you've got you've got every, you've got so many things at work all at the same time, and obviously this kind of unbearable pain that you know 114 of the people who died were children and. Some of the yeah. most, you know, convincing or haunting premonitions were were from children, and children do have this kind of uncanny kind of openness, don't they? That, that we kind of we don't really know what's coming out of their mouths. Are they kind of less hidebound and more porous, or are they just sort of, you know, as Chuck Rappaport said of the girl Errol May Jones, who had that, you know terrifying nightmare of school you know was she just trying to say it to get out of school you know people you know people even people who even even at the time kind of heard these things very differently i think from from my point of view kind of researching it and writing it thinking about abavan as it was one of the you know the central questions of of the tribunal which was assembled really pretty soon after the accident they were up and running giving hearings and and and, and taking you know judge led in you know inquiry you know six weeks after after the disaster and had the report all done by the following february and one of the central questions is was this was this foreseeable and the that report makes completely fascinating reading for its very human treatment of the fact that this was of course foreseeable and preventable and yet previous landslips that had happened had happened just infrequently enough that people kind of forgot about them or thought that they probably wouldn't happen again or people's divided their realities and competences you know the guys piling up the waste didn't think it was their responsibility to think about how it might fall down the mountain again because that wasn't their job and 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 it's actually very eloquent on on lots of the things that we're talking about right now yeah it is, you know, it is. It's all very fascinating, and I think, I think, you know, I, I think the history in this book is as interesting as, uh, as, uh, as any kind of the uh, of whether premonitions are true or not. I mean, and, and that's, and you know, and I think you leave it very open ended, so it's, it, so you can make up your your own mind about stuff like that. My son, the other day, we were in Pizza Express, and a, a couple came in, and so my son's usually very friendly. A couple came in and sat at the next table, and the woman was very heavily pregnant. Uh, and just my son turned to them and said, "Why aren't you married?" And my wife looked, and she and the the woman didn't have <laughs> didn't have a wedding ring, and it was so out of character with my son that it kind of felt 
you had to interpret going, he's been possessed by the ghost of some 19th century <laughs> religious figure who's noticed that, because it was sort of such a weird, you know, he can't possibly have noticed that she wasn't married and, uh, you know, noticed the ring. And it was such a weird thing to say. So you start, you also start to, you know, you can do it both ways. You can either, you can sort of go, well, that's nonsense. Or you can start to project things on there that aren't necessarily there because kids just say a load of mad stuff. I also think with the, with the, all the psychics that were gathered together to go on the David Frost show to, yeah. uh, to uh, discuss this or that who all turned out to be too kooky looking for the, to be on TV. None of them had had a premonition that they wouldn't be on the show so they didn't need to bother going so, <laughs> uh, and, and similarly and similarly no one and uh, the, the the hospital you mentioned uh that tabaka worked at shelton uh, was it was it was at the center of, uh, of a of quite a tragic fire as well which again nobody none of the the premonition bureau people picked up on supposedly so it's it's sort of it's a very random <laughs> random thing uh random power these people have but it you know i think it still is it is very uh there's something, you know, there's something about it. I think you, you, even when it is, even though it would mean the world is a very different place than what it is, and yeah, either time run concurrently and every, we can see everything, or, uh, or the the future is ultimately completely predictable. Uh, it does. You, there's a part of you that just wants this stuff to be true, and that's I think that fuels it, doesn't it? And so, I think that's what's interesting about this. That was that, that it was that mixture of science and the journalistic spirit of the Evening Standard guy fairly to to make a story out of it and sell papers out of it. It's uh, you know it's it's an endlessly fascinating subject. Oh, well, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I th- thank you, but I mean, I I think that I was, um, I mean, in a way that that anecdote about them kind of nearly getting on the David Frost program kind of summed up a lot of. <laughs> a lot of the the story or at least the kind of the atmosphere of it for me do you know what i mean it was this it was this 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 turning that we didn't quite take if you know what i mean it just it just hovered on the edge of mainstream thinking just for a minute do you know what i mean and maybe this was a sort of a moment where where some of this thinking got got as close got as close as it as it as it ever has done, and it was sort of it was it was it, it it's been a lot of fun to me to to kind of to bring that bring that to life. I, I also, you know, on this on this kind of yearning for this for this stuff for this stuff to be true. I mean, I kind of I think I you know I find talking to you know talking to people about this story, and I'm in this slightly sort of weird situation at the moment where quite people you know email me their pre- their premonitions now um that that there are quite a few people who who, who carry these kind of very knotty Im- impossible seeming events in their lives and they just kind of don't know what to they don't know what to do with it because it doesn't connect to a you know a, a rational explanation of the world and and yet you have this experience so and 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 what do you and what do you do with that and maybe kind of in earlier periods in our history when you know these things would be absorbed into you know religious forms of thinking but 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 by but by saying these things aren't, aren't possible then then they just sort of 
they just sort of sit there and, and, and things like the Premonitions Bureau, you know, act as this kind of, this outlet and a way for, and a way of sort of talking about it. I'm kind of another sort of thing that I've, I've sort of found useful to think about is J.B. Priestley wrote this book called Man and Time in 1964, where he just, he talked about the kind of the modern notion of, of time, one second, you know, following on remorselessly after each other until the, you know, until we die. He called it like the we live with the worst understanding of time that people have ever had. We're just talking about earlier societies being full of kind of cyclical natures of time or kind of more porous ways in which the future or the past could kind of meet each other as actually being a more you know in a way a more a more livable existence great uh, I, I listened to the audio book which is great julian ryan tut is there is there a reason you didn't do the audio book yourself uh, uh no one asked me um but i but i did i i did ask for julian ryan tut so i'm really really happy that that he was that he was able to do it and i think he did a, a wonderful job yeah it's very good it's well it's look it's a really brilliant book and um like I say, there's much more to it than than just uh, premonitions, and you, you get a real snapshot of a of a time in in history as well, which I, I really like. And yeah, and and I love the little digressions, and I love the jumping back and forth in history, which is perhaps uh, perhaps uh, the, you know, significant. Perhaps that's how the world is. We don't know. Are you? Uh, is there any uh, books that you're reading at the moment that you would like to recommend? As this is a book club. Um, yeah, I'm reading a, a, a book of short stories uh, called Reward System uh, by a writer called Jem Calder. And they're kind of short stories, quite kind of millennial, quite kind of um, a little, a little, a little cold, a little sort of dominated by technology. But I'm finding them, I'm finding them really, really gripping. Terrific. Um, look, uh, it's been really great to talk to you, Sam, and I really recommend the book, The Premonitions Bureau. I, I think it's doing very well. It's in the uh, it's in the window of Waterstones in Hitchin. That's all I can tell you. So it must be always a good sign. It must be doing pretty well. Yeah. It must be doing right. pretty well. The people of Hitchin have spoken. Um, uh, thank you so much for coming on, and thank really you, love Richard, to meet you. And it. also, and thanks to Chris Evans as always for. For producing and directing, I mean, not very well today because it's been quite difficult to get through, but we can't blame him for that. Thank you, Sam. Okay, cheers, Richard. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thanks for listening. RichardHarring.com slash gigs. GoFasterStripe.com for all my books, downloads, all that sort of shizzle. Oh, yeah, I know all the cool words. And um, would love to see you on the on the Can I Have My Ball Back tour if you can make it. Bye.